Today on the Heartland Community Church Podcast, teaching pastor Steve Carter brings part five of the series titled Desert Sessions. This message is titled, Can We Enter the Promised Land Without Going Through the Desert? Good morning, everyone, and we are desert people. A desert is character school. Uh, We've been in this series called Desert Sessions, and if you've been joining us, we've been talking about how Just sounds so good. My preaching is not that good, but when you have a little keys behind it, it's just a game changer. That's cornbread. People call him bread, though. He's good. You can, you can clap for him. That's great. <clears throat> uh, but I'll tell you this. is like we're, The Desert's Character School. We've been in the series called Desert Sessions, and, and really what we've been trying to do is, is help us live well in the desert. A number of years ago, I was with a rabbi, in Israel, and I was just asking him questions about, you know, how, how much time in our life metaphorically will we spend in Egypt, and how much time metaphorically will we spend in the promised land, how much time metaphorically will we spend in the desert, and the rabbi just laughed, like rabbis do. You Americans are so funny, he said. You think everything is in the promised land? And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. He goes, for us, the Hebrew people, we think 10, 15% is in Egypt. 10, 15% is in the promised land. 70 to 80% is in the desert. And I was like, man, I've spent the majority of my life trying to avoid the desert. I think for many of us, we don't actually like being in the desert because the desert confronts us. The desert is character school. The desert comes from the word, which literally means deserted. Because when you're in the desert, it is unrelenting heat. It's scary. It's uncertain. It's unprecedented. You are walking and you literally have no idea what's around that bend, what's around that corner, what might happen. It's such a picture of life. But the desert was a place that God did some of his best teaching. And not just teaching, but shaping, forming, and helping the people become ready for the promised land. See, we want to bypass the desert to get to the promised land, but I'll tell you what, if you can't do the desert well, you won't be able to do the promised land well. And I think you have to understand this. And so instead of trying to avoid it, we've got to be the kind of people who go, okay, God, what are you going to teach me? Deuteronomy 1 verse 3 says, on the 11th month of the 40th year, Moses spoke what God commanded him. So 39 years, 11 months, they are literally walking And Moses then goes, okay, here's my final words. And the book of Deuteronomy is like a month of final words. Last words of what Moses wants to stress and implore upon the people. And he says these words in Deuteronomy 8. He says this, be careful to follow my commands. And he's speaking like what God has given him to say. Be careful to follow every command. And the word command in Hebrew is the word mitzvot. And it literally means sacred deeds. It's how you walk in step and in tune and in harmony with the one true God. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. She's like, seriously, be careful. You are walking the line between blessings and curses. You are walking this line. You gotta make sure that what you are deciding and choosing is that that's going to help you walk in step and in tune 
but the one true God. And then it continues in verse two. It says this, remember. Remember, it's such a powerful word. Because I think for many of us, we remember the things we ought to forget. And we forget the things we ought to remember. And the subversive kind of underlying theme of Deuteronomy is Moses saying, please remember. Remember every command. Remember, even when it doesn't make sense, remember, remember. And look what it says. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Usually when they're talking about remember, it's like remember how God led you out of slavery. You're like, I like that story. Remember how God rescued you. This one, Moses is saying, hey, remember how the God led you for 40 years in the desert, in the wild, in the most deserted place of your story. Remember that because it had a purpose. It had a purpose. Look, it says to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Friends, I live in the desert. I live in Phoenix. And last year, we had over 150 days where it was over 100 degrees. I mean, we had 60 days. It, was a, it broke an Arizona record. 60 days, over 110. Desert's hot. It's like the greatest ev like evangelism strategy ever. You'd be like, you want to live in eternity here in Arizona? It's hot. Or you can like live somewhere else in heaven. Like, it's your choice. Everyone's like, I want to get out of Arizona. It's so hot. I know people in the Midwest are, you know, they always are like, well, it's a dry heat. Let me just tell you one thing. If it's over 100 degrees, it doesn't care. It's hot. It is hot. And it's unrelenting. It's 4 a.m. It's already 98 degrees. Terrible band. But it's like 98 degrees. And literally, you, you like get to 6 a.m. It's 101. You're like, all of a sudden, you're at like 2 in the afternoon. And it's 112. And you are just feeling it. And God, for 40 years led his people into the wild, into the desert. Why? That's the question we got to ask. Why? Because they had known Egypt. They had found their identity in how many bricks they made. They worked seven days a week. They had no idea of Sabbath. They, they, they found their worth in, in how many bricks they made. And if they didn't make that many bricks, they were beaten. And so the next day they showed up in the bloodied hands and having to make bricks. And if they didn't make enough and meet their quota, they're beaten again. And something happens when you begin to kind of take your experience and literally overlay that upon God. And the thought was, because every other religion was like, man, we got to keep the gods happy. You got to keep the gods happy. The gods are angry. We got to keep them happy. All of a sudden, God was like, I'm leading you out into the wild because I need you to have some stuff stripped away. I need you to have some perceptions and perspectives and underlying beliefs stripped away. And this, this is why they call it character school. And he's like, really, really, what, what God led them into the desert was to get their heart right. And I think this is why we're here today. Because I think for some of us, man, there's something in our heart that just doesn't feel right. And I'll tell you what, the desert's hot. It's so hot. It is unrelenting. It is hot, hot, hot. And you see it in that verse. The first, the first reason that God led them was to humble them. And I don't mean humble like kind of in false humility. I'm not talking about humility and like how low can you go. This word humble in Hebrew is the word anah. 
And it literally means to be brought to your knees. That's what the desert will do. It will bring you to your knees. Maybe, maybe you've experienced this. Because in some translations, it will be humbled by affliction or humbled with affliction. You have been brought to your knees with a medical report. You've been brought to your knees financially. You've been brought to your knees because something in your family just isn't right. You've been brought to your knees with your marriage. You've been brought to your knees because of your kids. You've been brought to your knees because of the state of our world. You've been brought to your knees and you're like, something in me is not working. That's what the desert will do. And then you find yourself like literally wrestling with all of the world's biggest questions. How? Why? What? Now what? Seriously, God, why, what, now what? And maybe for some of you, as you're here, you know exactly what I'm talking about because in 2020, 2018, 2015, 1994, some apparent reason you were just brought to your knees. And you looked up at the heavens, your palms are up, and you're literally like, I don't know what to do. Dallas Willard had this great line, if you want to know what God's address is, it's the end of your rope. You want to know where God lives? It's the end of your rope. You know where God is actually at? It's at the end of your rope because it's there in that place where you are the most expected and the most dependent and the most open. And so God takes people who have been rescued out of slavery for 40 years. He brings them to the desert and while he's there, he's trying to get after this. He's trying to get after this. And the same thing is true what God wants to do in each and every one of us is get after this. The desert's hot, H. The desert's gonna, gonna humble you. But oh, this is like, what, what like God did was he wanted to make sure that they would keep his commands. And really that, that word that they're talking about is obedience. The desert's gonna force us to go, when it doesn't make sense, will I still obey? When it doesn't literally work right now in my favor, will I still obey? It's like a financial, like 501. Like you're putting money in and you're not taking money out. You're literally just investing money in and you're literally like trusting that there someday it's actually going to pay off. This, this, this is what many of us are trying to do in the midst of being brought to our knees. Will we still keep his commands and the person on the left and the person on the right aren't. And the person on the left and the person on the right seem like they're thriving and they're not. Or they're thriving and they're not obeying. Will we still be steadfast? Will we still be faithful? Will we still choose to obey? And obey is just two words that have been brought together. It means to listen and respond quickly. That's what obey means. It's literally that you have listened to God's word, listened to God's spirit, listened to God's invitation, and you respond quickly. And that's what spiritual maturity is, is that when you hear God and you put it into practice. Spiritual immaturity is when you hear God and you're like, yeah, but what is she doing? Spiritual, spiritual immaturity is literally like, yeah, but like, what? I mean, there might be a better way. Again, don't get me wrong, doubt's a beautiful thing, but it just shouldn't keep us paralyzed shouldn't keep us paralyzed. And so literally, when you think about this, when, when you're actually trying to go through character school and live well in the desert, these desert sessions, when you're brought to your knees, the question is, will you still obey? And the next word that you'll see in like Deuteronomy 8.2 is it was humble and to test. 
And that word, nisah, literally means to put to the proof, which I love. Put to the proof. I want to put to the proof. Like when you, your back is up against a wall, when adversity is at your doorstep, will you still find an opportunity to put to the proof your faith and your faithfulness? And I don't know about you, but I think for so often, many of us, we find ourselves in seasons and situations when we've been brought to our knees, what comes out of our mouth is a byproduct of what's happening in our heart. What comes out of our life, byproduct of what's happening in our heart. But when we're humbled, brought to our knees, we have this opportunity to say, I still trust you. I'm still going to obey. You put this to the proof. That's what the whole book of Job is about. Put to the proof. Even God's like, yeah, you can put to the proof this guy. He'll be faithful. He'll be faithful. And for many of us, we have to ask ourselves, how are we doing in character school? How are we doing in character school? How are we doing when we've been brought to our knees? How are we doing when we face adversity? How are we doing when it doesn't make sense? How are we doing? And when I think about this, it's so moving to me because ana literally means when you are brought to your knees. You're brought to your knees. Again, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Will you obey? Will your faith be put to the proof and shown as faithful? There's seven words of worship, seven words of praise in the Hebrew language. They're amazing words. I don't have time to go through them. My friend Darren Whitehead taught me this. But one of the words, one of the words is the word barak. We see it in the book of Psalms. It's used a ton when it talks about to praise. To praise. You know what's amazing about the word praise and, and, and bless, this word barak, is it literally means you are kneeling in respect and in honor. It's crazy, right? So like, this is like such a fascinating thing for me. For some of us, we have been brought to our knees but when we actually praise, one of the things that the Hebrew people did when they would talk about praising God was that they would willfully choose to be brought to their knees, which forces you to ask the question, why? Because they were practicing. They were practicing because they recognized that 70 to 80% of their life was going to be in the desert. They were practicing because they recognized that when actually life brought them to their knees, they wanted to be comfortable in that position. I mean, just think about this. When's the last time you showed up to church and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get on my knees and worship. I mean, when's the last time, like, you were actually at your house and you're like, you know what? I got to prepare in my heart, my mind, my life so that when, like, I actually go through difficult times, which you will, when I go through adversity, which you will, when I go through a moment that doesn't make sense, when I go through persecution, when I go through struggle, when I go through pain and trauma, I've actually practiced and played it out so that when it happens, I'll still give alleluia. I'll still give alleluia. And people keep saying, they have all these different phrases for the church, you know. And COVID is just so fascinating. It's like people had all these different lines, like, we don't go to church. We are the church. That's cute. Um, there's all these, all these different lines about the church. Do you, do you actually know why we gather? 
We gather because we're practicing. This is practice. This is practice. So that when we actually go out into to the world on Monday, we're brought to our knees by some terrible decision by a coworker. We're brought to our knees because of something that we saw take place, like we did this week in Atlanta. We're like, oh, brought to our knees. We're brought to our knees and we see the tragedy and the pain. We're brought to our knees because of people's decisions. Brought to our knees because of our own brokenness. When we're brought to our knees, we'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, but I practiced this once. Well, practice this, that I'm in a moment of affliction still going to Barak. Lift a praise. Lift a praise. And hallelujah. That, thank you. That's it. You remember that, Teach. And that's, that's the peace. And I, I think when we gather, and, like, and, and Eric last week, he talked about mental health, which I'm so grateful for. It's so important. They've done studies, and, and they, they found that the only people who were above kind of this emotional health during the pandemic are people who were gathering, people who were felt connected to a, a community, to a church body. There's something in this that's like reminding when we gather, practice, you're not alone. You're not alone in the desert. We're all in character school. We're all being shaped and formed more and more and more into the image of Christ so that we can be prepared well for the promised land. So here's what I want to do. If you remember last time we had Four City Worship kind of leading, I was teaching. Um, I just wanted to pepper them because I think sometimes we can look at people on stage like they have it all together, and we don't. We don't. Or people who are practicing. I remember when I was a kid playing basketball, I'd be in my driveway and I'd practice. Nobody ever came out for that. And then I started preaching, and I was practicing in front of people, and they came out, and I was like, this is terrible. This is terrible. But this is what we're doing. We're just practicing in front of each other, reflecting back to how I'm seeing Christ at work or what God's teaching you, celebrating how you're going through character school well and not running back to what was familiar, which is Egypt, but being able to lean into what God has for you. So what I want to do is I just want to ask them for a few moments just some questions about character school for you guys. What you're experiencing when it comes to words like being brought to your knees, when it comes to words like obedience, when it comes to being put to the proof, what's God teaching you in the desert? Yes. No. That's, that's, after So Will I, you can do whatever you want. So uh, it's such a good song.
I love it. I love it. That's so true. And I think in the brokenness, we are the closest. Because you're at your end of the rope. You need to depend. And oftentimes we've been taught, stay safe. Don't need anybody but you. Anybody else? Who else? Gabriel. So good, so good. Any anyone else? beautiful. That is beautiful. Gosh. It's amazing as in the desert, all your counterfeits are stripped away. And, and some things you'll think that you've actually beaten, overcome, and then Egypt starts calling. And all of a sudden, the temptation. And I, I think some of the, the humility, ana, with affliction is in those words of anxiety those words of control, those words of fear, but also in those choices that we've made. You know, and, and one of the most beautiful things is, you know, we all know this, the, 
the, the phrasing, like pride comes before the fall. Before someone falls, there's pride. But it's amazing is when you look at the book of First Peter, you look at the gospels, it's like humility comes before the honor. And it's the people who actually willfully say, you know what, there's this thing in my life and it's bringing me to my knees. This season in my life, it's bringing me to my knees. This medical report, this fear, this, this decision, this pattern, this choice is bringing me to my knees. This affliction, ana, bringing me to my knees. And I'm not just going to deny it or dismiss it. I'm actually going to get here, but when I'm here, I'm going to do what Gabe says, and I'm going to choose to sing my way out, to sing my way out to God. And so if this really is practice, Maybe we should just practice right now. I don't know if you are in the desert right now, but if you are, maybe, maybe you feel a nah humbled with affliction. There's some affliction. You have a name. It has a name. And it's just weighing you down. Maybe, maybe this is the space where you have to feel like, I just gotta get on my knees. Or maybe, maybe you've been humbled with some sin pattern. And you're just like, it's not actually helping me. Maybe this is just practice to be able to, to do this so that when Monday comes and Tuesday comes, we actually can pray as well instead of being thrown and tossed and pushed by shame and fear and worry or any of the other enemy's tactics. I don't know. I just have like this sense that for many of us in this room, we just need to actually get on our knees. There's this great line by the founders of the Salvation Army, the Booth family, and they said, the greatness of a person's power is the measure of their surrender. The greatness of a person's power is the measure of their surrender. So if you're willing to surrender and say, yeah, yeah, I'm not perfect, I haven't arrived, I still am in process, I still have these areas in my life, I still am far from being whole, holy and spiritually healthy, I still have this weight of affliction, I'm gonna be honest, I'm gonna be human, and you're literally like, and I'm gonna go to my knees. Somehow that's where God does his best work because that's where he lives at the end of our rope. And so we're gonna sing this song. It's called My Worship. And I love this song because... It's us singing from our knees. Even when we feel like we're in the desert, we have a chance to say these words. Maybe we start on our knees, and maybe in a few moments, at some point, you just feel like, oh, I gotta lift and stand, fantastic. Maybe you're in your 60s and you haven't been on your knees since your 30s. It's okay. Why not now? It's just a practice. And just because you went to your knees, no one's gonna look down on you, it's probably going to inspire the next person to get on their knees. But the more that we actually can do this here, the more that we'll pass character school out there. Ana to Barak. Humbled on our knees to being on our knees and still lifting up. Alleluia. God, I pray these words. For some of us who have just been inundated with temptation and struggle, for some of us who have just been filled with worry and anxiety and fear and shame. For some of us who just, there are things in our life that aren't where we desire them to be. God, I just pray that when we are on our knees, all we can do is look up. Greatness of our power is measured on our surrender. 
because we're surrendering our one and only life to you. We're surrendering our future to you. We're surrendering the present to you. We're surrendering the temptation and the struggle to you. And God, you always, always, always meet us, even if it's in the desert, to shape and form our hearts. And no matter what, we will still be people who worship you. We love you, God. You can have a seat just for a few more minutes. Um, I love that because that song we just sang comes straight out of scripture, number six. It's known as the Ronic benediction or the priestly blessing and every mother and father in a Jewish home would say those words over their kids. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And just think about this for a second. You know what it says? The Lord barak you. Just think about this. What I just told you, anah almost being brought to your knees by affliction, but then barak on your knees, willfully still giving a blessing. And what this priestly blessing is for every Jewish child was to know that God came and knelt for you. And not just knelt for you, but was singing over you, as it says in Zephaniah 3.17. And it says, the Lord bless you and keep you, which brings you right to a shepherd, keeping you close, with you, never leaving, never forsaking. Even though you might feel deserted, I'm with you. And then it's like, make his face shine upon you and be gracious, like giving grace. This is the Lord's posture towards you and us. And then what I love, I love that line. It says, the Lord turn his face towards you. It's like he's looking at you. He's looking at you. And you have the delight and the attention of God even in the desert. And it's because of that you can have peace. You can have peace. God's not distant. He's here. And I think so fascinating is, you know, when you think about the desert, and these hiking, and, and, and I love to hike. And recently, uh, some families and I and my kids, we went hiking. And as we're hiking, and I charge, I, I want to get to the top first. And sometimes I forget I'm a father and I've got kids. And, and so I'm like hiking, and every you know, couple hundred feet up, I'm looking back. I can see my kids. I keep charging. A couple hundred feet, look, and I can't find my daughter who's seven. Um, her name's Mercy June, and she's, she's her own piece of work and uh, she's got she's fierce and brave and she probably saw a scorpion and was like I'm gonna find it and she just went away and I'm looking and then I see her but I'm kind of around this bend that if if I start to walk to her she's not gonna be able to see me for for a while but she can't really see me because of the sun the glare where she's at but I can see her and so from this moment I'm like mercy Mercy. And she's like, yeah. She's like, where are you? I'm like, I'm right up here. She's like, where? I'm like, I can see you. You can't see me, but you just got to trust me. You got to follow me. And, and I just said, just keep walking straight. And she just kept walking straight. Just keep walking. Just keep following the trail. I can see you. You can't see me, but I can see you. Just keep, keep listening to my voice. And finally, she gets all the way up to me. And it hit me later that night as I was like journaling about this experience is I realized sometimes when we're in the, in the desert, we're trying to see our way out. 
You know how you get out of the desert? You hear your way out. It's different. For some of us, we're trying to see the promised land. Well, maybe if I'm just in that relationship, or maybe if I just get into this job, maybe if I just have these people in my life, maybe if I can just get this thing to happen, I'm telling you what, you don't see your way out of the vision, you hear your way out, which means you gotta ask yourself who you're listening to. The reason, the reason, yes, God led the Hebrew people for 40 years into the desert, but the real reason they were actually in the desert is because the Hebrew nation listened to 10 people. 10 negative voices who were like, we can't go into the promised land. They're too big. It's too scary. And so the fact that those people didn't trust God, trust what he wanted to do, they listened to 10 negative voices and they spent 40 years wandering. And I actually think some of you are in a desert season because of who you're listening to. You are listening to old lies, old tapes, old stories from the past that are on repeat or something that someone's spoken into your life that's holding your life in check. And friends, I'm just here to tell you, it's a lie from the pit of hell. And until you actually get really, really clear on the fact that you can't always see your way out of the desert, you can only hear your way out of the desert, and you get really, really honest and human with what am I listening to, it changes everything, which takes you to the New Testament. It takes you to John chapter 10, which says these beautiful words, verse 3 through 5. And this is what Jesus is saying. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And unfortunately, I think for some of us, we are more familiar with a stranger's voice than we are the shepherd. And let me just get really, really honest with you. I've seen too many stages or people made it about them. There's only one shepherd, and his name is Jesus. My job is not to get you to like me or know my voice. My job, Eric's job, Carrington's job, our job is to help you understand and discern the Spirit's voice, the sound of the shepherd, so that when on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or even on a Sunday, when you find yourself in the desert, you're out going, well, what did Steve say? That ain't gonna help you. That's not going to help you. I will leave you and forsake you. But Jesus, Jesus' voice is actually the real shepherd who will lead you and guide you. And this is, this is where we have to practice. We have to practice. We got to practice with one another. We got to be honest. I mean, that, that, just that voice, a voice that I'm hearing. And someone's going to say, hey, hey, that sounds like a stranger's voice. Do you know what God's voice would sound like? Lord bless you. I'm not even going to sing. <laughs> I'll ruin the whole moment. Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord wants to make his face shine upon you. Pour out his grace. The Lord's looking at you, delighting at you, so that you would have peace. You know what God's voice is? It's a story of like reckless love. Love. Not shame, not fear, not worry, not anxiety, not that you're not enough, that you haven't performed, that you haven't achieved, you haven't acquired, you haven't da 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 Stranger's voice, stranger danger. That's what we teach our kids. But somehow we get older, we're like, I like the stranger's voice. I follow the stranger's voice. And it leads you right back to Egypt. Get to know the voice of the shepherd. I think I just made a baby cry. I feel terrible. 
get to know the shepherd's voice. And when you do that, I guarantee you, you might not always see. And this is, this is why Jesus looks at disciples who are fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. And he looks at them and he goes, Leakarai, come follow me. Where are we going? Yeah, you're just going to hear my voice. You're just following. It's just following. Following. Step by step, day by day, choice by choice, moment by moment, because the desert's hot and we're going to go through character school, but we are going to be humbled and we're going to have everything stripped away that we don't need for the promised land. And we're going to be obedient even when it doesn't make sense because we've heard the shepherd's voice and we're going to put it into practice. And even when it doesn't make sense, we're going to lift up, alleluia, we are going to praise, and, and, and. When God looks at Heartland and God looks at us, we're going to be put to the proof and be called faithful because we weathered the desert well. And we will be on the other side. And some of you have tasted this. Uh, my friend Kelly over here, I was just thinking about her when I was just singing this last song. Friend, and she, she weathered a desert season. I look at like where her life is two years later and I'm like, you weathered that well. Thanks be to God, you weathered that well. So, Last, last thought, and then we're going to sing one more song, and then Eric and Ari are going to come up and close out the service. But, but I just need you to really ask yourself, what's the loudest voice in your life? Is it his voice, her voice, their voice, the pressure built on your own self? Like, ah, what if just in this moment you could receive these words over you? We're going to sing a song called Reckless Love, and a couple years ago, I, uh, I reached out to my friend Corey, and he, he wrote this song. And, and, and I just was like, man, you're getting a bad rap. People blogging about the word reckless. They don't like the word reckless love. I love this song. Tell me about it. I'm like, I actually want to do a whole teaching based on the song. So we did it in like 2017, 2018. Did a whole teaching on the song. And Corey was walking me through why this was so important to him. And I just, I just began to recognize what he was saying was the shepherd's voice was just reminding me how he is never going to stop coming after me, chasing me, till I understand how to receive the fullness of his love. That's my prayer for you. Whether you're in the desert, whether you're in Egypt, or whether you're in a promised land, that you would know not my voice, you would know the shepherd's voice. You know the voice of the scriptures, you know the voice of the spirit, and you know the voice of God's reckless love that's coming after you. Let's sing in response right now. You've been listening to Teaching Pastor Steve Carter with part five of the series titled Desert Sessions. You can experience the entire online service by going to heartland.cc and clicking on the watch page or go to our YouTube channel at Heartland CC Rockford. You can also watch it on the Heartland CC app. Thanks for listening.